0: know what you're thinking was that live footage from my experience a couple weeks ago. Uh, for those of you who weren't here... Uh, I assure you it wasn't, but my wife was in the hospital for four days to have a gallstone removed, and I was a big sissy, and I passed out in the hospital, uh, hit my head on the door handle, I had to go to the ER because I was tired of visiting hours and I needed to stay longer. So I went and had three staples in my head uh, and all that. But uh, I say all that, and I know it's kind of ironic because we have that and whatever, <laughs> just, that's how God works, okay? But it's one of those things that being completely honest, that in the midst of that moment, passing out, there was like this moment. Now, I don't know how long it lasted. It kind of felt like 30 minutes or so, but it might have been like five seconds. I don't know. But there was this moment after I hit my head and passed out, you know, um, and was like seizing on the ground and Sloan was freaking out. There was like in the midst of that fog, I could hear. It felt like a, the best way I can explain, it, it felt like a bad dream. That Have you ever had a dream where you've been falling? And you just feel like you're falling forever. It's like, ah, ah, you know. And then you wake up, because you never, like, just die in your dreams. I don't know why that is, but uh, I guess I do know. But anyway, that'd be weird. But, you know, you fall, and you have, like, zero control, but it felt super real. It kind of felt like that. And in that fog, I just remember hearing Sloan, my wife's voice, just like, oh, my God, oh, my God, Dustin, are you okay? Nurse, doctor, help, help, you know, all of that. And... Like, all week long, or a week and a half now, I can't get that out of my mind. It's almost as if, I know someone would feel this way too, it's like, when we go to bed at night, like, we kiss and we hug a little bit differently. And why is it that it often takes a traumatic event or a really scary circumstance for us to really um, be a come awake or realize the affection we have for someone. You know what I mean? It's, it's kind of like the way I can explain it is we begin to take those relationships for granted until like there's like this moment where even in our minds, like you can ask Sloan, she, she had uh, uh, endoscopy and, you know, there was some risk to it. And in that moment, while I'm waiting, I'm not in the waiting room because I can't go there. And I'm, the doctor, or somebody's supposed to call me and... I know I kind of make light of it now, but, you know, I, I receive a phone call. I answer. No one have, uh, answers. I'm like, okay. I search the number. It's the GI doctors. I call thinking there's complications. I was like, no one called you. I don't know what's going on. And, like, in me, like, I'm just being transparent. I was upstairs. I started folding some laundry, and I began praying out loud, like, okay. Sloan, you cannot go out this way. You know, I mean, I don't know how many people die from a GI procedure, (laughs) but I don't think many. But, you know, like all of a sudden my mind goes to worst case scenario. Are you with me? And in that moment, it's like, okay, what would happen? And to be fully transparent with you, you can ask Sloan. Probably one of my biggest fears is to to die and to leave my family. Now, I know I would be in heaven. Okay, there's no doubt about that. my, My hope is in that. But still, like, there's like this, like, I find myself at times, like, daydreaming. Like, what would, like, like, thinking about what the boys would say and what Sloan would do and all, you know, and I just don't like that. And so it's like, you think about all those things, and when those things pile up, there's like this moment where it's like, hey, I love you, you know? Like, I love you. And many of us over the last couple years, you know, with COVID, you've had those experiences, whether it's COVID related or not, and just in your life where you hug the neck of the ones that you love a little bit different and you appreciate the value because the truth is, and I'm just being, uh, I'm I'm just trying to be transparent and authentic, is that oftentimes, well, I do love my wife and I do love my kids, that oftentimes I take for granted our marriage and my responsibility as dad. And so what ends up happening is so often I just put it on cruise control. You know, I love them. They love me. It's good. And and so it's like when those moments happen, they lack intentionality, and they lack really grasping and making the most of the opportunities I do have because we're not promised tomorrow. And so... I need to stop taking those for granted and really value what I love most in my life. And if you think about that, we do this in our relationship with God. I remember when I was 14, not growing up in church, not knowing all the Christianese and the words that Christians use and the rituals of the church and what churches like and worship songs and all that. I, I just remember coming to know Jesus realizing, man, I'm messed up. I don't know what my purpose would be in life. And then someone talking to me about sin. I'm like, sin? Okay, I guess that makes sense. That's in my life. My sin separates me from God. Okay, I need Jesus. Okay, that's why Jesus was sent. And coming to a point, if you grew up in a traditional church, walking the aisle and telling the pastor, I need Jesus. I need forgiveness of my sins, Uh, you know, and walking through that. And in that moment, being so excited in my relationship with Jesus, then I was like, okay, I need to start growing. I need a Bible. What, what do I need to start reading? How do I need to start reading? Here's my journal. I'm going to start doing this. I'm going to be. I'm gonna do this every single day. I'm going to read the Bible in a year. I'm going to do this. I'm in this small group where we're talking and praying, and I'm going to conquer my fear of praying out loud. So I'm going to start praying out loud. I'm going to start praying regular. You know what? It's it, it like a year later, I started teaching Sunday school for a group of middle schoolers. So I started to serve. I started to do all these things. Man, I had so much zeal and love for God. I just wanted to be used and everything. Thing. And then all of a sudden, not all of a sudden, but over time, that zeal diminishes. And it becomes like it's just on cruise control in, our, in my relationship with God. And what happens is that over time, our relationship with Christ becomes a chore more than a privilege. Think about this. We've all been guilty of like, oh, church, I don't want to go. I just want to sleep in. I stayed up late. I was watching that Clemson game or whatever, fill in the blank, okay? I was doing this. I worked late. I don't need to go to church. (sighs) I just want my kids to go to bed. Why do we have to do nightly prayers? Can't you pray yourself, kids? (laughs) You know? Like, I don't want to say the blessing. I'm hungry. You know, I'm tired of this. Or, you know what? I haven't read my Bible in a long time. Why start now? It doesn't make any sense. I don't understand it, so I just don't need to do it. And so, all of a sudden, it's a chore and it's like, ugh, I got to do that? You, you mean you want me to actually serve in the church? Like, I just like coming and then going. Like, why would I do that? Like, I have to give? You want, the Bible says to give. Like, why would I do that? I got bills to pay. I'm not going to, okay, all right, I'll give, I'll give. Here's a $5 bill, okay? Maybe God would use that. Or, okay, I, got, I, I, was, I made some tips this week. Let me give a 20, <laughs> you know? It's just... It's just this attitude that it's no longer a, man, I love God. And that zeal and that passion to go after Jesus and for him to change our lives, it's almost as if so many believers are like these complacent, um, comfortable, like walking dead zombies. Just kind of going through the motions of church and what it's supposed to look like and what Christianity is supposed to look like and all these other things. And whether it's just out of some type of routine or a moral obligation we feel like we need to have, we just become these spiritual robots. And really what the danger is, is that other affections capture our hearts. Think about this. Other things take priority in our lives. That, and now listen to me, I'm not... I don't don't think the Bible is saying that we should become monks, isolate ourselves, and all we do is pray, worship, and read the Bible, okay? He wants us to have lives because there's evangelism that's needed. But there needs to be a priority shift where you have to really evaluate, okay, where's all my time, resources, money, efforts, passions go to? And to be honest, for most of us, it's on other things than Jesus. Not that it's not a part on Jesus, but there's other things that take up those buckets, And so there's other affections that are there. And as a tendency, we begin to drift because it's not our first love. If you you grew up in church, you know this famous hymn called Come Thou Fount. But there's a line, a verse that says, Prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. And we, we do that. It's our natural tendency to drift. I often think about like when you go to the beach have you ever had, like, if you have kids or a friend and they go out, like, right in front of you, and 10 minutes later they're like halfway down the beach, they just drift. They don't know it, they're having a good time. And they just, they just drift that way, and you're like, hey, kids! <laughs> And they come here ten minutes later. You know, you you know what I'm talking about. You know, I always love the stories. I've heard stories of people getting in a rat, like a float, and they're like out there, and they're like, "Oh, we're good." And the next thing you know, they wake up from their little nap, and they're all sunburnt on their face. They're like, "Where am I?" You know, because they drifted way out. I'm like, "Yeah, that's a shame on you." But uh, you need accountability. So, um, but you know, we do that in our walk with God. We we are prone to wander and just to to drift. And that's exactly what we're going to look at this morning at the Church of Ephesus. But we're going to look at it in the book of Revelation. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Revelation. It's the very last book of the Bible. And some of y'all are like, Revelation, all right, let's do this, okay? Um, And it's a pretty crazy book, a really great book to be blessed by. Um, We're only going to hit a little bit. Maybe in the future we'll do a study on Revelation, especially as it... Uh, relates to in times. But l- let me kind of give you some context in this. Revelation, first and foremost, you need to know it's called revelation, not revelations, plural, okay? It's singular. It's one revelation. Sometimes people say the book of Revelations. It's one revelation. And what it is, is that you have the apostle John, who was like in the inner circle of Jesus. He's Jesus' right-hand man in a lot of ways, experienced a lot of incredible things. Jesus um, obviously dies, resurrects, ascends back into heaven. He uh, empowers the disciples to go preach. And John was preaching. He was doing that. He's going around telling people about Jesus, having some church. And uh, at one point, he, be, he gets arrested. He says, we're tired of you doing that. It's illegal. It's a crime. And they put him in a pot of boiling oil to kill him. I mean, savage. And it, it, it doesn't harm him. He's like, man, it's kind of warm in here. This is a nice little sauna, okay? And so they're like, what? So they take him out, and they ban him and send him into exile to an island called Patmos, all right? Well, while he's there, so Patmos is like this deserted, abandoned kind of uh, group of islands. It's rocky terrain. Nothing lives there. You can't survive. It literally is like an ancient day Alcatraz, all right? Like, go. You're going to die, it literally is Greek for my killing. And so they send him there and say, hey, good luck, you're going to die. And just as his punishment, they're tired of him preaching the gospel. Well, while he's there, God shows up and tells him, hey, John, I want you to get some, some pen and paper. I need you to write these things down. And in chapter 2 and 3, Revelation, we see seven specific letters to seven churches. Now, these churches are like in Asia Minor, like modern day Turkey, and they really are kind of all located really close by. But the very first letter that we see in chapter two is a, to uh, the church of Ephesus. Now, I know this is like the nerdy side of me. I always try to give historical context because it just helps me kind of visualize what's going on and it's not some fairy tale. But we spent an exhaustive amount of time, I think like 11 or 12 weeks, going through the book of Ephesians, which is written by Paul. Paul, who was radically changed, was a Christian killer, met Jesus, changed his life, became a missionary, established the church in Ephesus. He goes to this church or to this city, and it's a metropolitan city. It's very well off, lots of money. Uh, It's a trade route. I mean, it's huge. So it's a cultural melting pot, and a lot of people worship many gods there. And so Christianity was not on the scale of one of those. And so Paul comes with Silas and Luke, and they begin uh, this church uh, in um, Ephesus, and it starts to prosper. They have this successful businesswoman named Lydia. They have Priscilla and Aquila. Wouldn't you like to name your kids that, right? All right, who who are foundational. Timothy is actually uh, kind of a mentor or disciple of uh, Paul comes. And the church is doing awesome. It's growing in this pagan society. It's doing awesome things. Everything is going well. They're, They're reading the word. They're praying. Man, people are coming to know Jesus All these things are going so good. And so at 18 months later, Paul leaves like, y'all got this and they're doing well. And then Paul gets arrested. He writes this letter to the church of Ephesus, the book of Ephesians. And pretty much 95% of the book is, man, y'all are killing it. You're doing a great job. Keep it up, church. Man, y'all are praying. Y'all are reading scripture. You're worshiping. Let me kind of remind you, kind of a pep talk, like a halftime from a coach. It was like, y'all are doing great. It wasn't very corrective in nature. But what we come to in this letter that God is asking the Apostle John to write, we see some tension. We see that there's actually, even in the midst of some really great things happening in the church, something is not right. And so God speaks to John, and John writes these things down. And they really are some hard reminders. And so let's read this together. It'll be on the screens If you have a Bible app, it's a great resource, or a church app, you can do it there, too, and follow along. I'm going to read one half and then the, the second half. But he says this, To the angel of the church in Ephesus. Right. So scholars believe that the angel isn't like some, like, fairy over here. It's actually to the pastor of the church. They're just referring to him as the angel of the church in Ephesus. The words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. So that kind of seems a little weird, but essentially God's saying, hey, I'm in control. The seven lampstands and the seven stars resemble the churches and what God's doing there. He's like, hey, the one who is speaking is God. All right. And then verse two, I know your works, your toil, your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. So let's stop there for a second. So what God is doing is really commending the church. He's like, hey, y'all are doing awesome. Y'all are are enduring patiently. There's people coming in that are false prophets that aren't preaching truth and you're calling it for what it is you're like that's a lie you know as my kids say cap all right that's a cap i don't know if your kids do that and it's like hey that's not true get on out of here so they're able to really they're in the truth so much and in the word of god that they're like hey that's false and they're able to name it and say get out of here that's not what the gospel is all about so they're seeing this they detest evil so they're like, hey, that's not of the word. That's not of the Lord. So get out of here. And he's commending them. Hey, keep it up. Hey, you're doing great work. Your, your head's down and you're focused on these things. And you're not, you're not growing weary. You're enduring patiently. Now, I'm just going to tell you, if someone comes to me and says, hey, as a parent, man, you're really enduring patiently. I consider that a compliment. I'm like, yeah, pat myself on the back. You're right. You know, I'm dad of the year award. <laughs> But, and in this, he's complimenting them. But in this next verse, listen to what God says. He says, but I have this against you. And I'm just going to be honest, like if God says that, you better listen. I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Your translation might say you have left your first love or the love that you had. I mean, think about this. I have this against you. You have abandoned the love that you had first. So it brings me to my first point. There's only two points this morning. And the first one is, it's possible to love religion, but fall out of love with Jesus. You might love religion, but fall out of love with Jesus. Now think about this. Ephesus, they loved God. The church was going after it. But at some point in time, or maybe over time, that we see when God speaks to John, it's been about 40 years since the church was established. And if you've been at church at any point in time, you know that within a 40-year time frame, there are what I would call golden calves of the church that can often peak its ugly head. Example. The carpet of the church, it always needs to be green, it's holy, it means whatever, you know. Or you can't get rid of the chandeliers because my grandma and them, they tithe and they gave that. There's these things that become important, but it also happens with rituals. You know, and so what ends up happening is that the church of Eph- Ephesus had has made secondary things primary things. They made things that weren't really important really important, to die on a hill for. And that's where the danger sets that they've taken their eyes off their first love of God and maybe have loved the things of God, but haven't stayed in love with God himself. Are you following me? And so you have that moment and you have those things. And if you think about this, just being real and frank, that our churches are fiel- filled with people, and pews are filled, and buildings are filled with Christians that are just like this. Now, this is going to sound super judgmental, but I'm just being real. Is that what has happened is that so many believers in our world has, have made secondary things primary things. And let me throw this disclaimer. There are things that, as believers, we should stand for. No joke, okay? Man, we should stand for the Word of God. We, we should stand, you know, in our faith and all I mean, all those things. But at the end of the day, we cannot let secondary issues become the primary thing. Because what ends up happening, I'm just going to be real in observation, is as a result, we have a lot of angry, angry Christians. Angry. Not Christians who are filled with joy and, and compassion and love people well. Remember when Jesus said to his disciples, people will know that you are my disciples by making passive-aggressive comments on Facebook. Did he say that? No. Did he say, they will know that you're my disciples if you boycott this and you stand against this? No. What did he say? He said, people will know you're my disciples by the way that you love each other or love one another. And what's happened is all the hate The sin, the divisiveness that sin brings in our world has crept into the church. And so you can no longer tell who's a believer and who's not a believer because of the way they act is no different. And so we have made secondary things primary things. And what ends up happening is just this this false gospel and these things that don't go according to God's word. So we say, hey, these things are important to us. And these can be good things and bad things. But I'm just going to be honest. I've never seen somebody, and I invite you after service, come to me if this has happened to you because I would love to know about it, is that I've never seen someone put a derogatory comment against something that goes against our faith on Facebook and someone say, you know what? That was, I really enjoyed your passive-aggressive comment. And you know what? I think I need Jesus now from that, you know? And you know what? I was wrong, and you were right. Have you ever seen that? No, I haven't seen that one bit. And it'd be like a miracle of God. It would take a miracle of God for that to happen. And so to think about it, as Christians, we should be known for our love. And I'm not saying don't stand and just kind of be a doormat. I'm not saying that. But we have to be very careful not to let secondary things um, become primary. Paul David Tripp, I love him, man. He has written so many awesome books. Plus, he has a killer stash, okay? But he writes in this book called Awe. His whole premise of it is about how we have hijacked the awe of God, that we no longer have an awe uh, for God. We have an awe for everything else, something that captures our hearts. He says this in his book. He says, if awesome things in creation become your God, the God who created those things will not own your affections and awe horizontal awe, the things that we love here on this earth, is meant to do one thing, stimulate vertical, stimulate vertical awe. So everything that we experience, good and bad, on this earth horizontally should stimulate, should bring attention to our affections for God. Not a replacement for God, but to say, man, anything from those mountains are beautiful, man, God is awesome to, hey, that is really hurtful, and I'm going to turn to God because God's my hope, not that. All of those things and everything in between should allow our eyes to turn to God and say, that is the most important thing, that our affection for God should be the most important thing about us. And what has happened is that to the church of Ephesus, it was no longer that. They were systematic in things but had left and abandoned their first love. But listen to what uh, what God says from there. He says in verse 5, Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent. Repent. And do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you. And I will remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. A.K.A. I will remove my hand from you. And what's going on there if you do not repent? Now, I don't want to assume too much. But if you go to Ephesus now, there is no church. It's ruins. And as a church staff and then personally, I have been praying for this personal revival in all of our lives. For us to not get to a place ever of complacency. Of, hey, I just do this as a chore. Hey, I'm just going through the motions and going to be a zombie in this. And so the, fir- the, the second point, but what we need to do to kind of combat that. The, the second point is it's impossible to return to Jesus without repentance. God says, hey, remember where you've fallen and then repent. Remember your first love and repent. Not a, I'm so sorry, I really messed up. Like a true, man, I'm messed up and I need to turn to you, God. I've made other things primary. You haven't been the most important thing in my life. And so I need to change those things. I need to live for you. See, we we become comfortable and we kind of live in a, it could be worse mentality kind of situation. But I'm praying for a great revival to happen. And not like a revival, like, like your grandma went to the tent revival in her town. Like I'm saying, stir something in us that we, that God brings us back to this zeal and this passion to say, I want my relationship with God to be intimate, and I want other people to experience what I'm experiencing right now. Not a cultural, I like church, it's good, and everything's well. Like a passion that we are turning towards God. And if a revival in our church is going to happen, it starts and begins with a revival in our hearts. A revival in our church begins with a revival in our hearts. And to studying this, I'm going to close with this. Many of us know the parable of the prodigal son. In Luke 15, Jesus tells the story of these, these sons. And one of them, the oldest, goes to his dad and says, hey, dad, I want my inheritance. I want take everything I want my money give it to me he gets it he and he leaves he's like I'm out of here peace out dad and he squanders all of that money away and he finds himself in this moment at so desperate and poor and hungry he's eating out of the slop of the pig's pen with the pigs and it's almost as if this light bulb goes off like what in the world have I done and I've just fallen from 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 my father Man, I just totally disobeyed God, ran over here, and now it's a pretty humbling experience. So in Luke 15, Jesus says that the son returns back home. And what we see is a son who is repenting. He tells his father, he says, Dad, I've sinned against you and I've sinned against God. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And how does his dad respond? It's a beautiful picture of what our heavenly father does. You know, because if that was my son, I'd be like, go to your room, kid. You're about to get a whoop, butt whooping, you know. Like you've lost Xbox for five years or something. But he didn't do that. You know what he did, man? He said, get the best robe. Kill the fattened calf. We're about to party. And you know what he said? I love this. He said, what was lost is now found. What an amazing, amazing story. All because of Repentance. And here's what I want to do as we close this morning. You might look at your life and you might say, I feel like that prodigal son, because the reality is we're all kind of prodigal sons and daughters. It's our natural tendency. But maybe you're like, you know what? I'm in the pigsty right now. I'm in some junk in my life. and I just don't know if God can forgive me. I just don't know. I'm so embarrassed. I'm so ashamed. All those things. Man, run to God this morning. Run to God. Or maybe you're here and it's like, hey, No, I'm good. I think I'm in a good place. Well, you know what's so dangerous? Oftentimes, it's hard for us to see our complacency in ourselves. It's easy to point the the finger to other people and not see it in us. But I want to invite you into a time this morning. We don't normally end this way. And if you're a a first-time guest and this makes you uncomfortable, I totally get it. You can stay where you're at. But I want to invite you to a time of just repentance and a time to really say, God, Man, I've drifted. And, and, and I don't know, it's different, there's different levels of drift. And that's between you and the Lord. And maybe it's a, just a time for you to repent and to say, God, I want you to stir up something in me and a, a great, great revival in my life. And so what I'm going to do is, there, um, Sarah's going to play on the keys for just a little bit. I'm just going to get down here. Uh, I want my wife Sloan to join me. And I just want us to pray for repentance of our own hearts because it starts with us it starts with you and ask God to do an amazing work in your life and to use you to, to do an amazing work in other people's life you could be the answer to prayer for someone else's life and and your distance right now God is holding you back from what he wants to do so I invite you I'm going to Me and Sloan are going to be down here. You come down. I know it's limited space. However you feel comfortable, we can space out. If you will take the first couple rows, get on your knees and just pray. And whatever that looks like, the band will close in a song, and I'll I'll end um, after that. just, Just come to God. Just come face to face with God and say, God, I repent. I've made other things primary other than you. All right, let's enter that time together.